It's Thursday, July 17th, 1969. Day two of the Apollo 11 mission to the moon. The crew, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins perform a course correction, plotting a path to land at the Sea of Tranquility on July 20th. Back on Earth, more precisely London Northwest 8, Paul McCartney walked to EMI Studios on a hot dry day from his home two streets away in Cavendish Avenue. Waiting for him were recording engineers Jeff Emmerich and Alan Parsons. Their mission to record new vocals for Paul's song Oh Darling, wiping his previous efforts taped on the 26th of April. He spent a fair amount of time looking for the right kind of delay for his voice before attempting a take. His voice alternated between soft cooing and raucous screaming, but he couldn't find the rough texture he was looking for. No, that's not it, he said after one take. I'll try it again tomorrow. Paul was frustrated, saying to Alan Parsons, Five years ago I could have done this in a flash. The pattern repeated on Friday 18th. Paul deliberately tried to lose his voice for the weekend, believing from those endless Hamburg shows that his voice would come back stronger than before. He tried again on Tuesday 22nd, but he was still unsatisfied. The following day, finally singing his heart out with the backing blaring from the old tech monitors, he got the texture and performance he wanted. John, however, was unimpressed. It's more my style than his, he quipped. Good morning. Nine, eight, seven, this is roll 29. Five, four, 29. Three, two, one. Don't operate under these conditions, boy. You know, we're coming out. It's like, it's like that we're like, we're striking. Hello and welcome to Winter of Discontent, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the recordings of the Beatles sessions for the Get Back project. My name is Nick, join me now as we embark on this epic journey together. Well, I made a point of mentioning the length of episode 11 in my last monologue, and then I proceeded to make episode 12 exactly the same length. As I'm basing these around the length of a 5k run, I'll just have to run a bit slower. The podcast recommendation? Yesterday and Today, a Beatles podcast compiled entirely from clips in chronological order. It's an amazing archive of interviews and commentaries, many of which are extremely rare and always informative. Great for dipping into or binging at length. Speaking of binging, episodes 1 to 8 tell the story of the lead up to and the first day of rehearsals, so you can binge the four and a half hours at your leisure. We're now in the fifth episode of season 2 and the Beatles haven't started rehearsing any new songs yet, so here is a recap of episode 12. Paul gets behind Ringo's drum kit to drum along to George running through All Things Must Pass, his current favourite submission for inclusion in the live show. They play through the song for a few minutes before Paul gets distracted by the echo effect of the drums being picked up by the mics and amplified through the speakers. George plugs in his Epiphone Casino and begins to jam with Paul on the chord sequence to Don't Let Me Down. 
Ringo remains at the piano throughout. During this, John and Yoko arrive but don't yet get involved with the music. The next bit of tape captures a rough jam featuring two guitars and drums. The drumming style suggests Ringo and the guitar playing suggests George and Paul. John and Yoko may be having their morning tea. George sings some improvised vocals over the chords but they're not yet using the vocal mics so it's not very easy to decipher. The three then run through a pleasing rendition of Bo Diddley's 1959 hit, Cracking Up. They're clearly having fun. After George pauses to comment on the echo in the cavernous studio, the two guitars start another jam that mainly seems to be based around the tremolo effect of the new Fender Twin Amps. Glyn Johns can be heard in the background, perhaps talking to John, but it's just as likely to be one of the crew. John is looking at the Beatles monthly that caught everyone's attention all through episode 11. Paul comments on his face getting wider. I think this is referring to the pictures in the magazine, but it could be a reference to his growing beard. George, still taken with cracking up, starts it again, but no one joins in. Then inspired by some vaguely Elvis-like nonsense from Paul, George starts a parody version of Presley's All Shook Up. The band assemble around this, first Ringo, then Paul on bass, and finally John. After a while, Paul takes over the vocal, and the song morphs into Your True Love by Carl Perkins, which the band know well, and as they're warming up together, they begin to gel. Next, John starts singing the intro to Blue Suede Shoes, and the band fall in behind him. This isn't wasted time. The band are getting used to each other as musicians after a break. It's what they should have done on the previous day, to break the ice with each other. Paul then leads the Beatles into a version of Three Called Cats, which is almost identical, apart from energy, to the version they played at their Decca audition seven years previously, almost to the day. Reminded of the old days, John does a mock dedication, which will also be a feature of the rooftop concert later in the month. George, in similarly comic mood, sings a corny-sounding mock cabaret version of Dylan's Blowing in the Wind. Another break in the recording, and the next we hear is the band running through a version of Little Richard's Lucille. As this ends, Paul begins to sing John's song, I'm So Tired, from last year's double album. The Beatles remember this well. A brief chat follows with John about the band's covering Beatles songs, complete with all the ad-libs in the ballrooms around Britain. And this inspires a non-serious performance of Obladia Bladar as a homage to the current number one single by Marmalade. George mentions Jimmy Scott, the Nigerian conga player, who was the inspiration for and who played percussion on an early version of the song. Following a bass riff from Paul, the studio telephone rings, inspiring John to improvise some lyrics. There is no band performance of this, though, as the amplifiers have lost power, and George has to show personal assistant Malivans a better way to wire up the band's equipment. Now the guitar amps are back on, Paul calls out to rehearse Don't Let Me Down. And so let's rejoin the Beatles as they attempt to do some work. George points out the similarity to a Fats Domino tune. Probably a reference to There Goes My Heart Again, which has the refrain, Don't Let Me Down. John calling for his copy of the lyrics to his own song. Purple Haze is a reference to the purple light that's now shining on the backdrop. 
Hello. Hello. Paul and John playing with the PA mics. Have you heard John Lennon's imitation of Harold Wilson? That's what it says in Alley Cat. John quotes the enemy's Alley Cat. In the New Musical Express, Maurice Kinn contributed a column called Tail Pieces by the Alley Cat. Kinn was proprietor of the paper until 1963, but stayed on after selling his interest to run it for the new owner's IPC. John Lennon and Kinn had a famous falling out, almost coming to blows at the 1964 NME poll winners concert, when Kinn disagreed about who should close the show. Later, with no love lost between them, after John and Yoko appeared on the Frost on Saturday show, Ali Cat quipped, wasn't John Lennon boring? He made enough of an impression, however, that when journalist presenter Danny Baker bumped into John in New York in 1979 and tried to get an interview, he announced, John, I'm from the NME, to which John replied, oh yeah, how's Ali Cat? While Johnny's talking, George starts playing the Harry Lyme theme from the film The Third Man, a 1950 hit by Anton Karras, though this arrangement owes a lot to Chet Atkins' version. Incredible repertoire this band had. Sounds like John says, that was the Ray Coleman, dedicated to Ray Coleman of Disco Music Echo. Sarcastic comment from John there while he waits for his lyrics. Here's a mystery. George is saying to Mal, phone Joe. Mal's saying something like, Joe will be here shortly or something like that. This is one I can't pin down. So uh, if you can find out, if you know any better, get back to me on Twitter, Instagram or the Facebook page. George saying his lyrics are in his guitar case. Slate 34 at the moment, Slate 34. George pointing out that his copy of the lyrics has his special chord symbols on them, so he's been taking notes. There's a hole in the hard case. 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 And we've got an ego in reserve. While George is distracted, John and Paul fool around. This is a notorious improvisation, often called Negro in reserve. It sounds like Paul first sings ego in the first time round, and it evolves from that. It's just wordplay and this is just fooling around. This isn't an attempt at any kind of serious song. I'm sure you wouldn't say it now, but what we're listening to isn't now. John using His Name Is Ted, borrowed from George's earlier ad-lib. 
Okay. Out of nowhere, John starts Don't Let Me Down. Don't let me down. Paul finds his harmony. Don't let me down. Paul complains the PA has gone off. Same electrical issues as before. Paul's starting to think about answer vocals in the middle section. George starting to join in on the harmony. John fumbling his own words put off by Paul. John adds lyrics from Happiness is a Warm Gun. In Riverside, California, there used to be a manufacturer of guitars and basses called Bartel. It was named after its founders, Paul Barth and Ted Peckles, who set up the business in 1964. Tom Mitchell worked at the factory in 1967 and while there, hit upon the idea of a fretless guitar. Bath commissioned a prototype based on their Black Widow model, a double cutaway guitar made for other companies such as Honer and Moserite. Al Casey was a session musician and owner of a local music store. He was approached by Bartel to market the unusual guitar and took possession of the prototype. Somehow, through the music industry grapevine, Casey got word that George Harrison was staying at a house in Blue Jay Way with his wife Patty, Alexis Mardis and Neil Aspinall. More about them later. The date was 1st of August 1967. Casey's wife Maxine was dispatched to the house with the fretless guitar and presented it as a gift to George. One month later, on the 1st of September, Al Casey took out an ad in the Los Angeles Free Press stating, You must have heard about them by now, so come on in and see. Bartell fretless guitars and fretless basses. George Harrison got the first guitar. Maybe if you hurry, you can get the second one. When George returned to England, he couldn't find a use for the Bartell, so it remained in a locker at EMI Studios for almost a year. George apparently referred to it as mad guitar. According to Jan Gorski Messia, a close friend of George's for 30 years, he would claim that the first time the guitar was used on a Beatles session was in 1968 on the song Happiness is a Warm Gun, where it played the fuzzy, slippy, slidey guitar solo just before John sings the I Need a Fix section of this song. Whilst this is most likely true, the guitar was on hand in the studio weeks before, on June the 6th, when Kenny Everett interviewed John for his radio show. Can you sing me a goodbye jingle? Okay. It doesn't goodbye have to rhyme, right? Jingle, goodbye jingle, goodbye, goodbye jingle, good, goodbye jingle, goodbye, goodbye, you. What kind of guitar is that? Very strange looking. Fretless guitar. It's still debatable, but the Bartel was possibly used on the following tracks during the sessions for what would become the White Album. Helter Skelter, Slow and Fast Versions, 
Everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey, outtake version, and possibly the released version. Revolution 1. Savoy Truffle. John mentions George's long, 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 but there is no electric guitar on that track, so either there is an outtake or he's thinking of Savoy Truffle. As for the guitar itself, it stayed in George's collection at his Friar Park home until 1985. When working with guitarist Ray Russell on the soundtrack to the handmade film Water, George was so impressed by Russell's capability on the guitar that he gave it to him as a gift. But the story doesn't end there. Russell had the guitar valued in 2019 on the BBC television show Antiques Roadshow. As a unique part of the Beatles' history, the guitar was estimated to be worth three to £400,000 at auction. That's one very generous gift. This is slate 35 of roll 14. The time is 12.5, second day. 12.05 and the Beatles are finally rehearsing. John's struggling with the pickup again. John pointing out the difference between lines ending in does and lines ending in do me for Paul to harmonise. Paul thinking about backing vocals but simultaneously realising a moving bass line works here too. Ringo has his part completely down. Nobody ever loved me like she <coughs> Yeah, we do, like, she does for the first one. She does me. No, no, just does. That's how it was. She does. Yeah, ooh, she ooh, does. Ooh, she does. Yeah, she does. Yeah, she does. Done, then done me. Mal, can you just blend your pen for a second? Just correct. Paul's lyrics are wrong, but John dictated them wrong yesterday. I wonder how long it is. Mal's job is also to time the songs. Because it's probably only about half a minute long. Not sure whether that's Mal or Paul that's having trouble spelling the word does. Oh, damn golden slippers. <laughs> Schleppers. Golden Slippers is a minstrel song from the 19th century. Desmond had a sparrow in his parking lot. One, two, three, four, one. Come on. Don't let me down. Two, three, four, one, two, three. John and Paul disagree on how to count this in. Paul is actually right. Hello. Hello. Pierre. Playback's gone off again. The PA's gone off again. More electrical problems. Paul calls this playback as if they're at EMI. Oh, okay. Paul jokes, whisper in the ear to John if he wants to play without the PA. Okay, it's on. 
Just give us a shout if you're going to. Power is restored. Still problems with the meter of that pickup. So it sounded just like yeah, half, a, half minute. a minute. Okay. Mal gives the time at three minutes forty seconds. Obviously, the longer the song, the less of them they'll have to play on the live show. A very beatly habit, perhaps prompted by Mal's stronger accent, is to affect that mock Liverpudlian voice for effect. Satisfied with Don't Let Me Down For Now, Paul leads the band into I've Got A Feeling. George is requesting the words out of his guitar case again from Mal. He seems a little irritated. This feed seems to be picking up a lot more ambient sound than before. Voices are a little distorted through the PA. It's not a great vocal sound, if I'm honest. Paul's still trying to get George to play that lead part. He steadfastly keeps ignoring him. John reminds George of the descending, ascending riff. John sings, everybody had a hard on. They discuss how many times they do that section. Mal asks John to dictate the words. The bit that I find the weakest now is. Paul wonders if the middle section needs enhancing. Paul is thinking about the dynamics of the song. Perhaps it's a skill taught him by George Martin. Yeah. Maybe harmonies. John tries to harmonise. John's still dictating his part. phrase again.
singing B. Yeah, just sing the, the next harmony down so it's not too low for you. I don't know what that is. What's the next All these years. years. All these years. All. Oh, that's very high for me. All, All these. Oh, it's terrible. We wander All these Wondering around, wondering how come nobody told me all that I That's very high, In quite a comical moment, John is unable to hit his suggested note and complains he's not 18 anymore. Interestingly, no one suggests George try that harmony. thinks John's intro is too country. This may just be later in the same performance. Once again Ringo is completely flawless remembering the arrangement. Yeah! Everybody had a heart. The feed changes to the vocal mics, which doesn't make for a very balanced sound. I'm not sure why they feel the need to adjust levels mid-song. It would make this performance unusable. George is conceding that he should play something in that ascending-descending phrase for now. saying he nearly lost his voice yesterday he thinks it comes back stronger 
John is also worried he'll lose his voice, much as he did in the 1965 US tour. Oh, it doesn't just... Mm. See, it might work, but I don't have to lose it. You know? That'd be nice. But it's great what, yeah. what you get after losing it, you know. The new one you get. Yeah. Bit of power there. It's every, I don't want every time we're doing that, let me down the rounds. It hurts just to rehearse yeah. it. Once I crack it, that's what's going I just thought I'd tell you what I yeah. The plan is. <laughs> It's a really weird way to count these phrases. Great to see the harmonies evolving this early on. Takes on this roll, sync takes 37, 37. John's struggling to harmonise that phrase. We now know why he doesn't sing this part in the finished song. As before, George's part is the last to emerge. As Paul points out, they'd usually do this as overdubs, saving the decision for later. Uh, but there's one place where it'll come. George asks after Kevin. He doesn't seem to be here today. 
He's working with Jackie Lomax, according to John. Actually, he says, he's picking up something in town, which is how people refer to the West End of London. Perhaps it's Paul's other base. Mal says it will be good for him to go on the road. Because it's cornier than the last one, it's not quite as good, but it's going up the country, is it? I'm going up the country. It's just great. Paul talking about can heats going up the country. Yes, I think so. They've just got flutes playing it, and it's a bit of a fruity thing they do. It's not no sort of almost no cylinder, but it's great because it's just not quite. Almost no what? Soul in the sort of, you know, they don't bend the flutes or anything, but it's great because they don't. It's just sort of. And the end's great because they do like a false end. Thirty-eight, take one coming up. Last night's episode of Top of the Pops has had an influence on the Beatles' discussions this morning. Can Heat made an appearance, but didn't perform. Their current song is Going Up the Country. It's an updated version of a song recorded in 1928 called Bulldoze Blues by Henry Thomas. The flutes that Paul mentions are a contemporary update on the panpipes that Thomas is playing on a harness round his neck while he plays guitar. Oh, it's all strung. It's all strung like a chord, isn't it? Just like one. That's that one. Oh, McGall, 53. Discussing Al Wilson's slide guitar, tuned to an open chord, a technique George will adopt later on this year and ever after. That's two contenders for the live show polished up. And before the Beatles start anything else, we'll leave it for now. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Let me know what you think on our Facebook page and our Instagram, all titled Winter of Discontent Pod. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps other people find us. You can also email on winterofdiscontentpod at gmail.com. Thanks again and goodbye for now. <laughs>